When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the show today. Brought to you by The Athletic UK. We're going to be looking back at Fulham's 3-0 win over Stoke. We said it was the big test for the lads and, well, what a day at the cottage. Bit of sunshine, three goals, top of the league. You can't ask for much more on an August bank holiday weekend, although I guess Don Betts might have asked for it to be not at Craven Cottage and and away from home if he wanted it to be absolutely perfect. We're going to be looking back at that game and also keeping one eye on the transfers, a uh, few incomings and outgoings breaking this morning. So, And also we're going to be answering all of your questions as well. And here to discuss all of that with me, Mr. Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, Dom. Hello, Dan. Uh, Dom Betts. Hello, hello. And Mr. Dan Cook. Hi, everyone. Okay, let's get into some three-word reviews, Dom. Uh, From the Stoke game, a 3-0 win. I imagine everyone was pretty chirpy. Yeah, there were sort of two main topics uh, when it came to uh, the three-word reviews. You'll be able to tell from the ones I picked. So we start off on Instagram. We had Oscar Four with Harry's Potter's Magic, uh, LC14N with Wilson's Pottery Mockery, and going across to Twitter, uh, we do have Jack and Loz with Stoke in the Fire, BR Nickerson with Harry Expels Potter's, and doubly's at with stoked for promotion. Harry expels Potters is very, very good. Nice to see you, by the way, Dom. It's been a while. Yeah, mate, it has. Um, I finally made it to the cottage this season, so it was nice. Did you also make it to the old firm yesterday? No, because I'm off for about two weeks um, from Wednesday or about 10 days, I thought if I take this weekend off as well, I'll be taking a piss at work a bit. Well, it's nice to have you on the podcast. Um, you keep working on Sundays, which is generally when we record the podcast. So um, if you can just quit your job, please, and then we can get you on the podcast. Yeah, more. sure. How much are you pay me? Um, I will buy you a pint. Yeah, that's, fair. that's probably what I get paid to work on Sundays. Oh, there we go. See, I, I knew we could come to an agreement. Uh, so first question here before we get into the game from Sean Guagina. I'm sorry if I've mispronounced your name. How many times will the foghorn be sounded? I say five times throughout the podcast. Well, Sean, here's number one. The amount of people coming up to me and saying about the foghorn being their favourite new thing is, is really... Um, troublesome i think for all the people that don't like the foghorn so um stop boosting my ego by saying how much you enjoy the foghorn because you will be sick of it by the end of the year um as hms piss the league i mean it's not even just set sail now i i think we're in the channel i think i think we're heading in the channel and we're getting towards an ocean um especially after saturday i think it's time that we can get carried away let's get on to the match then um what a wonderful afternoon for fulham dan um we just we just outclassed a pretty good Stoke team. That is probably a top six side in this league. You'd have thought this season, looking at the, their their squads and 
almost just put it to bed after four minutes, really. Yeah, I think so. I think um, we've been saying every week, you know, our next game's going to be, you know, a real litmus test of where we're at. And I think there's no doubt the way Stoke played, they were probably the best team we've played this season. Um, and they did have decent spells. But I've seen Stoke fans say, you know, we didn't even play that badly, but we could also have lost 6-0, which I think sums up the game pretty well because yeah. I think we got the early goal and then... First half, we just sort of held it. We passed it about. We should have made it two or three by half time. And then the second half, we let them have more of the ball. Um, actually looked into the stats. And in the first half, we had 60% possession. In the second half, they had 60% possession. But we almost sort of just let them have it, knowing that we could hurt them on the counter. And it was so nice to see us actually pick a team off on the counter. Because it feels like the last time we saw it under Parker was probably what Preston at home in the championship in the 95th yeah. minute. Um, and it was just nice to see us properly getting on the ball and picking a team off. It was it was a great performance. It was really a joy to watch. Yeah. Um, Jams, the rejuvenation of, of Mitrovic uh, is clear for all to see. He signed his new contract until 2026 on Friday, which I don't think they needed to add fuel to the feel-good factor at Fulham at the moment, but, but Mitro signing a new contract and then... I mean, yes, he scored a goal as well, but I actually think that the setup for that first one was more prime Mitrovic for me. Yeah, the good times are back with this contract extension. I think uh, everything around the club at the moment is absolutely bang on uh, in terms of everyone feeling on the same page about the the football team being really good. And then obviously our talisman signs another five-year contract and follows that up with an imperious performance with a goal and an assist. And um, obviously there's that, that penalty we'll come on to, but... The first, the first goal is exquisite from from the start to to all the way through to the finish, and the, the touch by Mitrovic is uh, is superb. And it's, I think, it's another asset to his game that has been brought in by Marco Silva, giving him the confidence to start linking play. I think we saw him in the first game; he sort of felt like he drifted in and out. He didn't really have too much of a pressing contribution in terms of setting up others and bringing them into play. But I think in the last, at least the last three or four games, we're starting to see him now bring others into play, play lovely football uh, off the ball to try and get into space. And uh, I think one thing about Mitrovic is that people quite often underestimate how clever he can be on the ball and uh, how he can bring others into play. And I think we're finally starting to see this happen now. And I think the the first goal is the the underliners or the the epitome of, of what Mitrovic can do with his hold up play. Yeah, 100%. Um, Dom, just obviously it's the first time you've been on the podcast this season. I'd just generally be interested to know your more general thoughts about this team. Five games in, top of the league, playing wonderful football. What have you made of the start? Are you 100% positive? Is there a couple of things in the back of your mind? Yeah, no, I am. I've, I, I, just, I just think the championship's quite shit this year in regards to quality in the league. Uh, no, 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 I think you're right. If you no, look at yeah, two teams in the top six, Huddersfield are in the top six now. Like how... <laughs> Is that they're that fourth? I saw, I, saw, I looked at the table on Saturday evening. I was like, well, "How are they there?" I thought they were like <laughs> dead certs of relegation. And she so got and she got Stoke still in there as well. There's, and there's, we put eight combined goals past them. I think the quality this season is quite poor. And I think, but with us and West Brom compared to the rest of the league, like I'll, you know, QPR currently third in the league, but I think the quality in our squads is so high compared compared to the rest of the league. But no, I have been impressed with Fulham. I've been, as I've been tweeting out, it's just nice to see us play attacking football once again. I mean, you know, people will point to Slesia Kanovic, but in regard to this type of attacking football, we probably actually haven't seen this sort of attacking football probably since 16-17 the season we lost in the playoffs because I actually think 
we probably played more attacking, more the foot was more attacking that season as it was in 17-18. If you, you can look at away games such as Preston and Middlesbrough that season, it wasn't exactly free-flowing attacking football. Um, even Bolton away that season when we got that draw and that target scored. So, no, I've been I've been really impressed. But I think in regard to the quality overall in the league this year, I think it's a lot lower than usual if you compare it to, you know, the last few seasons where, you know, if you look at the season, we lost one up the uh, Leeds, Leeds that season, Brentford that season, West Brom that season. You'd argue all three, all, th- all four of those teams, including us under Parker, would probably get top two in this in this league this season. So I think it is great to see us play attacking football. And if you look, if you, I mean, if you look at the attacking depth we've got compared to a lot of other teams in the league, you know, that, I mean, what they would do, they like Steam Fletcher up front, didn't they? So, I mean, yeah. I mean, and even if you look at QPR, who are third in the league, for example, um, obviously you've got Charlie Austin, but, you know, people talk, they talk about Stephanie Hansen, that's like, a great signing. Stephanie Hansen probably does, it does he even get in our, if you include Anguisa, you know, te- I know he's got his pending move to Napoli, which we'll get onto, but if you include him in the squad right now, Johansson's probably not in the top six central midfielders in the team. Mm. So I think that there is the quality in the league. It just seems, the challenge just seems low, but you can't complain with the football we've been playing. You know, there's games where, there, these games where we, we beat Stoke 3-0 and we, we scored two goals against Millwall. These are these are two games, for example, that we could easily score six or seven goals. You know, if you're winning three nil and your opposition goalkeeper is the best player on the pitch, I think, or the opposition's best, their best player on the pitch anyway, is is showing is showing you how well you're playing. And I think we're gonna the championship is gonna go this way, where the teams who come down from the Premier League are just gonna look so much better than the teams who are in the championship. And I think this golfing class really is sort of gonna get bigger and bigger as the as the upcoming scenes really come along. Yeah, I I hundred percent agree with that. To be honest, Dom, like it is really enjoyable at the moment. And uh, but Dan, I I think there is you do have to stick the asterisk next to what we're doing at the moment. Fulham are playing amazingly. I think we would come top two of most Championship leagues in the in recent seasons. But you just look at that. It was a top six side. This is a top six side, and they just didn't even look close to us. I, I I'm struggling to see who are the teams that we're going to trip up against. We are going to trip up. No team no, goes unbeaten. No team goes unbeaten in the championship. But if a team's ever going to achieve it, you would say that this Marco Silva side is probably up there. It's ridiculous things to be saying five games into a season, but it's in your gut. I just can't, I can't see who's going to challenge us other than West Brom and maybe Bournemouth. <laughs> I Cardiff, think- Cardiff look like they could. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Cardiff could come to Craven Cottage and shit house three headed goals from Aidan Flint. Yeah, I think I think the, the biggest compliment we can give this team is that we. I don't think we've seen us at our best yet as well. I think we're five games in, and really, you know, we've got them beat Hull two 0 We didn't get out of second gear. You'd probably say we didn't get out of third gear against Stoke on Saturday. I, it, it genuinely, we we are set for something serious. I think this season, and yeah, we're going to have games. You know, we're going to play Cardiff in horrible conditions down in Wales. It's always horrible going there, and they're going to elbow us, and they're going to have eleven corners in about five minutes, and they're just going to lump the ball into the box. And that's when we're going to see sort of the metal in this team. You know how strong we are, but really, there there are teams that we will just brush aside this season. We said it in the first podcast that. Although we drew one all against Middlesbrough, some teams are going to be the end on the end of a, a five six niller against us, um, and I think we're going to do that to a lot of teams this season. We're just going to brush them aside based on quality, and also, uh, I think we have got ourselves a quality manager here. 
I think we look at the things we're doing and actually, although it might have gone a little bit unnoticed, he did sort of Gabe manage Saturday and we did change how we were playing in the second half just so that we could go out and with sort of minimum effort, put Stoke away. So I think we've got ourselves in a really good situation here. I mean, Ben, first half, if there was a criticism, was that we had quite a few chances before half time. Tosin had a, had a good header saved. There was about two or three not goal mouth scrambles, but moments where the ball got knocked into the six yard box and, and a Stoke body just managed to get in there, but it could have fallen either way. Um, Fabio Carvalho forced Bursic into a good save. It would have been probably the goal of the century had he actually scored. He ran from the halfway line after dispossessing a player about three times his size. Um, but that was maybe the worry for me at halftime was, oh no, are we going to see another Middlesbrough? But Fulham turned the screw early second half and, and, and got those goals that actually maybe we've been lacking up until now, where apart from Huddersfield, we haven't really killed off games. Even that Hull game, there was a point where you were like, come on, lads, you know, we there's a chance that if Hull got one back, it would be, it'd be, you know, slightly nervous. It happened against Millwall. So I think... That Marco and the team have got to be positive that they actually saw off Stoke and 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 can we were able to get those two extra goals that really put the game to bed. Yeah, for sure. I think they'll be they'll be over the moon with the way that they dispatched a team that come into this season undefeated and looked really really good. Um, obviously, we all saw the goal that Stoke scored last week, which was really really nice on the eye. Um, they moved it through the thirds wonderfully, and then uh, there was a great strike to finish that off. It's also shocking defending. <laughs> it is shocking defending, but you can only beat what's in front of you. Oh, I guess in terms of what what you, <laughs> I guess what you're saying is um, about the the goals and and we are creating so much at the moment. But also, like on the flip side of that, I think that what we have to realise is that our front four, so like Mitrovic, uh, Carvalho, Bobby Decadover, Reed, Harry Wilson and maybe even going beyond that, are all in great form at the moment. And obviously you're seeing a goal a game out of Mitrovic. You're seeing two goals in, in three games from Harry Wilson. Um, Decad Reed opened his account this weekend and Carvalho scored three goals in a week last week. So I don't think we need to worry too much about it. I think there'll be times when we are going to need to be more clear, clinical because games will be a lot tighter. And I think those are the games we're talking about just then against your likes of your Cardiffs. Uh, the likes of maybe Bournemouth um, and those kind of guys where you're going to get flung like long balls all the time. You're going to be battling and that's when we're going to need to take our chances. But the one thing about this team is that I have absolutely no worries about is that we can continue to make those chances and then we have the people that can finish those chances off all the way across the pitch. And um, I think even from deeper, we'll start seeing the the influence of Josh Onoma and, and Jean-Michel Seri coming into the four as well. And Seri was finding loads of pockets of space and uh, of this weekend. And I had a couple of pop shots. Uh, obviously, Tosin had that volley from you know about twenty five yards out, and if that went in, I think all hell would have broken loose. Um, but yeah, I think I, I'm not really concerned about the amount of chances. We're, I think it's harsh to say we're missing, but some of them are quite speculative. But I think we create chances consistently uh, and we won't have to worry too much. Another thing that I think bodes well for us this season is that in the championship this season, there's a lot of teams who have moved to a three slash five at the back. It seems to have been the big thing, partly due to the Euros. A lot of teams have gone for it. And when teams play it as a three, like Stoke did with wingbacks who get up high, it suits us so well because we have an overlapping fullback with a winger 
and two central midfielders who like to get forward, it just drags them all out of position. You know, the fullback gets a two-on-one, which means one of the flanking centre-backs has to move out wide, and it just creates space in the areas where we want our key players to be. And the fact that so many teams are playing like that this season is so good for us because I think we're set up well to play against teams like that. 100%, 100%. 100%, 100%. I, I looked at the kind of three at the back that Stoke were playing and maybe it was a tactic that could have worked had the game stayed longer and longer at nil-nil because they could have maybe had some influence on the game themselves. And I kind of see, I was talking to a Stoke fan afterwards, a guy called Dom, um, who I, um, I met before and after the match. And he was saying, I kind of respected Michael O'Neill for sticking with the system because ultimately he sees the bigger picture here. He kind of knew whatever system he put against Fulham, we probably weren't going to win, but we don't want to just change our system because we're trying to still build and grow and learn in, into it. But it, it fell into Fulham's hands, really, because once we were 1-0 up and you just looked at... It was like we had six attackers effectively against three defenders and Joe Allen at times. It was just, it was just a mismatch. It was an absolute mismatch. Um, Dom, the attackers will get a lot of the plaudits, but Fulham's defence has been really sound. Um, Dennis Adoy started at right back. You had Tim Ream come back in. I noticed, and I know you hate XG, but that Fulham's um, XG <laughs> conceded is the lowest in the league by a distance. We are giving opposition teams so few chances to, to get into matches and that deserves a huge amount of credit even when the personnel has had to change which it has in the last kind of few weeks in defence same outcome yeah I think when Marcus Silva came in everyone was I don't think anyone was underestimating how good we look attacking wise I think we, we've seen that with Marcus Silva teams when he was at Everton they finished 8th uh, when he had that good time at Watford before his sort of head got turned ahead of that Everton job and when he nearly kept that whole City side in the Premier League and, and that would have been a remarkable job if he, and he was very close to doing that. I think the, everyone sort of spoke about, oh, look at how many goals he conceded from set pieces. But to be honest, defensively, not from the set, but from balls into the box, we don't look we don't look like too too concerned, as you said, with conceding goals. And I think it's not just it's not just about, you know, Tim Ream or Tossin. I think even... Mawson, when he's come in the last couple of games, and I've always been one of Mawson's biggest critics, I don't think he's that good. I don't think he has been that good for us at all, even in the Championship last time. I mean, that display away at Luton on Boxing Day was one of the, one of the worst individual defensive displays I've seen from a Fulham player in a long, long time. Uh, but when he's come in this season, he's obviously he nearly even scored away at Birmingham in the Cup. We sort of trapped the ball inside the box, found some space, and then nearly smashed it in. That would have been an absolute phenomenal strike. And I think, you know, people were concerned when Kenny Tetti was out injured, and I think... One of my mates said it, like, when it comes to Kene Tete, in regard to individual ability in a certain position, you could argue Kene Tete in regard to level of ability could be one could be one of the best players in the league in that regard. I know he's a right back, but if you look at how, how good he he could be potentially be in this league, we could see how of a big loss it was. But Dennis Adoy's played the last two games away at Birmingham in the Cup and um, at home to Stoke on Saturday, and he's, he's seamlessly sort of fitted into the squad. People didn't know he would, he would be able to play the sort of role that Marcus Hill wanted him to, but he, he, he's done into a problem. I still think we should be in a market for a right back because it's, it looks like size Christie's off. So you, you have, behind, after Dennis Adoy, there isn't enough, another right back cu- currently available who sort of who can play naturally in that position. But I think the, I think the fullback areas have been key as well. I mean, you know, with Robinson and when Brian has come in as well, uh, when he came, when, when, because obviously he started the cup game against Birmingham and the first goal for Jay Stansfield, it's not completely down to Joe Bryan. It's a great strike from Joe, uh, from Jay Stansfield, but he wins that ball by pressing high up, 
get, feeds it in, feeds it into into play, and stands for levers it into the top corner. So I think the fullbacks have got a key part to play this season, like we saw under Slavisa Kanovic with the likes of Ryan Fredericks and Matt Target in the second half of that season. I think Robinson, uh, or if Brian plays, and when Kenny Tete comes back, and Dennis Adoy for the time being, I think they're going to have a field day in this team. And I think you have a whole defensive unit, and he's clearly worked on this because. We're not. We're playing a four-two-three-one without exactly playing a proper number six sort of sitting midfielder with then one or a whole more box-to-box player ahead of him going in. And obviously, you know, Harrison Reed has played that sitting role, but I think Harrison Reed more than that. He's not just a sit-there destructive type midfielder. He can sort of go forward. I think a lot of people. A similar comparison, and they're not similar type players, but people sort of labelled Declan Rice with that uh, when he sort of went at West Ham, where, oh, he's just a destructive centre midfielder. But he has shown in his partnership with Thomas Suchek and his partnership with Calvin Phillips in the Euros that he, he can drive forward. And I think Harrison Reid, when he does come in this season, who's sort of a, you know, if people look at our team, I mean, we haven't even played uh, Harrison Reid and uh, Tom Kearney that much, or even Anguissa. I know he's off this season at all. So there's, there's still quality. Uh, to come in, come into the side, you know, when we when we when we were been playing brilliant football, you know, we were at Wilson for three games without Reed, without Kearney. So I think, yeah, the 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 fullback area is so key. But I do think with Angisa off and with the test injury, as we'll get onto in regards to transfer activity. But yeah, I think defensively, Marco Silva must have worked on this cohesive unit. How the defence works with these uh, bombing fullbacks, as Dan mentioned earlier, with sort of overloading teams who play three at the back, and especially the job that Onoma and Seri have to play in, in in this team, especially as they're both going to try and get forward. Yeah. Um, speaking of Seri and Reed, uh, we'll come to some more questions later, Dan. But um, uh, PK asked the question: How do we fit Seri and Reed in the same team? I thought it was quite interesting where Harrison Reed came on. Now, look, there was 10 minutes left of the game. We were 3-0 up. So maybe Marcus Silva wasn't like being overthinking the tactics here, but he came on for Fabio Carvalho. And then Reed kind of played very advanced. Like he was like almost the closest player to Mitrovic, a bit like Fabio Carvalho was. Now that might've just been because, I don't know, he come, came on for Fabio and Marco was just like, well, have a run around, mate. But also, is that potentially an indication that we could see Reed play a slightly different role. He's surely, I mean, he, he has to play if he's fit because he's, you know, an unbelievable central midfielder, but we might see a slightly different Reed this, this year. I didn't know if that was a potential, you know, little crumb that might lead us to something slightly different for, from yeah. the ginger, from the ginger and the Esther. <laughs> I think, I mean, first of all, shameless plug here, but I wrote about Reed um, during the Premier League season. Um, There's a couple of times when we saw him play alongside Lamina instead of one or the other. And in those situations, Harrison Reed was freed up to play as our box-to-box midfielder. So um, it, we saw it at Everton, I think, was the best example, which was probably one of our best performances of the season. Um, he can play that role um, without a doubt. And he says himself, I think he said that he wants to be able to offer more going forward. I think he is more than just a, a sitting six. However, I do think at the moment, I would prefer Onoma in that role. I think Onoma does still offer more going forward than Harrison Reed does. I do think in the squad, based on Tosin's recent shots, Harrison Reed has the worst shot in the squad. <laughs> I've seen him take some <laughs> horrific efforts. Um, but where I think I'd like to see him play, I think it's foolish to think that every game this season, we're going to be able to play Seri as our deepest midfielder because there are going to be teams who look to exploit that, especially on the counter-attack. And I think what Harrison Reed can then offer is a screen, much in that sort of Kevin McDonald style role, where Harrison Reed reads the game brilliantly. I mean, he has a great view of the pitch and he's very good at snuffing those sort of counter-attacks out. 
So I think that might be where we see the balance. I think I don't think Seri's going to be playing every minute like we've been saying him, seeing him play recently once Harrison Reed's fully fit. I think it's going to be a little bit of a trade-off based on game situation, game state. And I think that's a good thing. I think we've got to be adaptable like that because we're not always going to have it our way where Seri's just going to be able to dictate the play and just just play everyone off the park. What a ludicrous situation to be in. <laughs> what an absolute ludicrous situation for a championship side to be in. I mean, sometimes I play Harrison Reed, sometimes I play, uh, you know, sometimes I wear my Versace watch and sometimes, you know, I wear my Rolex, you know, just to see how I feel on the day, really. You know, sometimes I wear both, one on each wrist. Um, uh, mad. Okay, right. Well, that probably does it for, for the Stoke analysis today. There's plenty more to get into, including transfers and questions. So we'll do that after this. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Dan Cook. Hello, Sammy. Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. And Don Betts. Hello. Right, well, let's get into some transfer news. Um, No doubt by the time you listen to this, some of it will be out of date. But one thing that probably won't be out of date is Andre Zambo Anguisa, who is set to join Napoli. Um, I think this is something that we all expected. Um, According to uh, Fabrizio Romano, sometimes called a tap-in merchant, but other times uh, fairly reliable. Only by you. <laughs> it's not only by me. The agreement has been reached on loan with a buy option. Deal to be announced in the next hours. Uh, medical stay in Italy. Anguissa will play for Napoli. So, Jarms, this looks almost certain to happen. We knew it was coming. He didn't come off the bench on um, Saturday either. Um, we, we saw a video that was put in the uh, WhatsApp group beforehand of, of Anguissa warming up and honestly it was like he had a gun to his head um <laughs> he just oh, he, he doesn't want to be here he's wanted to go napoli seems like a good fit to him all i can say is thanks and good luck yeah i think uh, it's a good move for anguisa and i think it's also a good move for fulham we get someone off the books uh, that clearly as you said doesn't really want to be here anymore and when we came on at millwall it was like he was just taking the piss he played the game at sort of half speed um got up to the edge of their box and was just like, I don't fancy doing much anymore. I just passed it to someone else or just doing like random kickups. I think it was quite a funny performance. Um, but I think that the move to Napoli and to uh, Serie A will really suit him. It's a league that's a little bit slower than the Premier League. Um, you always get a little bit more space. And I think that one thing that comes with the Serie A is that a lot of people say it's a very defence heavy league and it's just a, a very old and quite outdated stereotype um it's not the case I think there are a lot of um flair players out there now a lot of players that really know how to express themselves and some managers as well that are willing to take risks whereas they probably wouldn't have 10 years ago I think that Napoli are a good team to walk into they've got a lot of creative talent in there a lot of young creative talent as well and they've got a manager in Spalletti that likes to really push the game hard likes to take risks and um Anyone will remember his old Roma teams were quite fun to watch. And I think that Anguissa is going to be a really big part to play in that team. And they've got some brilliant players. Obviously, they've got Insigne. They've got uh, Drias Mertens still. Do you think, Ben, he gets into their midfield? I, I think he will eventually. I think he does. Yeah. Because obviously, you've got Eli Elmas, uh, Lobotka and Fabian Ruiz as their midfield three, obviously. And then, you know, Politano... Insigne and what probably Lozano in the, in the front three. I'm just interested to see if he can displace the likes because Elias was what a mainstay yeah. for him in the midfield last season. 
you know, we know what Lobotka can do, and Fabian Ruiz has been an upcoming great central uh, midfielder for, uh, for, for Spain in their youth teams and pushing for their first team for a while. And I'm just interested to see where you think you would fit into that midfield. I think one thing that Napoli kind of struggle with time and time again is getting the best out of Fabian Ruiz because they expect him to do both things defensively and offensively side of the game really, really well. And I think that defensively is probably not where he's going to excel. So I think you kind of want Anguissa in there to sort of act as, a, that, as that shield as we were talking about with Harrison Reid on the previous segment. And I think that it's all about releasing Ruiz as much as possible because like other than Insignia and, and maybe a couple of others, he probably is the jewel in the crown at Napoli at the moment in terms of what he brings to the team and what he can be in the future. And I think that they've been struggling even under Sarri, even under Gattuso to get the best out of him. And I think that this is going to be a move that allows Ruiz to be freed up and to express himself more than he normally does. So I think... Eventually, he'll work himself work his way in. One one person I really do like in that midfield is Labotka, who had a really good time in Spain. And I'm surprised that no one else, maybe slightly bigger than Napoli, picked him up. But I do think that Ngisa will, will worm his way in somewhere. Um, it's just how they decide to play him. A rumored price, Dom, of 10 million euros for Angisa. Now, this is our record signing of nearly 30 million pounds um, four years ago, uh, three years ago. Sorry. I mean, that's a shocking dip, really. I mean, are we just are we just desperate to get him off the books? I think I think I think it's more getting his wages off the bill. I think I imagine apart from maybe Kearney and Mitrovic, he's, he probably is on the highest wages, and Seri's probably up there as well. So I think it was definitely offloading one of them this season, and we've seen that Seri is definitely in Marco Silva's plans. We've seen the he's, he spoke he he hasn't said it explicitly, but we can gather Marco Silva said that. Anguissa basically doesn't want to be here and we've seen when he's come on he's sort of just been you know going through the motions you know against Mill it looked like he was just playing sitting in a deck chair he was just sort of of strolling that sort of calmly around the pitch and I think yeah he's 10 million pounds a year I'm sorry so probably was that eight nine million eight nine million pounds yes it's not what we wanted for him we probably could have got more early on the window but I think it was simply a case of getting him off the wage bill in regard to you know financial fair play and things like that and I'm I know it's probably just under valuation, but I wouldn't say he's worth. I wouldn't say what we were asking for, which is probably upwards of twenty-five. He's not. He's simply not worth that. What? What? Possibly, as people have seen in his time at Fulham, that would warrant a transfer fee more than I'd say fifteen to twenty. Right. So we've probably we've probably lost out on about five million. I'd say here because I just although he's looked good this season, who hasn't looked good this season for us? He hasn't looked better than like someone like Josh Oliver. He hasn't looked better than him in that regard. I understand he's a very good player, but he just hasn't done it for Fulham. I think it's a similar case uh, like with Brian Maurice, I, I would say. I know they're not the same players, but in regard to a, a big transfer fee coming to Fulham um, at the time, I'm seeing whenever we sign someone for big money, by Mitchell, they always seem to fail. But um, I think it's similar. You know there's a player there. You know there's a you know Europa League, Champions League level player there, but he just, it, just hasn't, it just hasn't worked for him in England and, and it hasn't worked for him at Fulham. And I, I, I was, I was actually quite surprised. There was quite a few. There's a few English teams in, in being one of. I remember seeing um, Wolves being linked with him a few weeks ago on, on just because they wanted that time in field. So I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm surprised more English teams were linked, but I'm not surprised he's wanted to leave England. I think he's much suited to football on the continent. But yeah, I don't think, I don't think we can be too disappointed with the transfer fee personally, just because I don't see what he's done in the last few years at Fulham bar his loan spell at Villarreal to really increase that transfer fee. I think, yeah, if anything, we've only lost about £5 million. And yeah, good luck to Anguissa. I think he will show people that he is a good player. 
uh, you know, because we saw that with Brian Rees literally as soon as we got relegated and then he turned off Costa Rican World Cup and essentially knocked England out of the, of the, of the, World, of the World Cup that summer. So, uh, yeah, good luck to Anguisa because I imagine this move will probably get done on uh, today on the Monday. So, yeah, and I think he will show people that, yeah, he is a good player. He just didn't work for him. A bit like some other players like Brian Rees at Fulham. Yeah, I, I can't know. Look, it's hard to know, A, because we're talking in rumours here for the price. I cannot believe the club would let him go that cheap. I cannot believe that the club would be willing to write that off. Probably because it's just getting to the end of the window and there's not much more interest and they need to get him off the books in this window. So they've, they've, they, they've tried to hold off and get a bit more money and it's just backfired on them. Mm. I don't I, know, I'm, I'm surprised because I think I saw there was a period when there was a reason, one of the reasons it was said it wasn't moving so quickly, him leaving, was because we had a strong evaluation that we wanted met. And actually, Zambo wasn't so desperate to leave that he would force the club's hand. It was said that, you know, he's pretty happy with the salaries on, which I imagine he is. Um, And so it feels, it does feel a little bit weird. It, It felt like it was getting to the point where he might actually have ended up staying. And I'm a bit surprised that we've sort of caved in, um, and let him go so cheaply because I think there is a, um, respect from Silva towards the player that Anguissa is. And I think he did really like him as a player. And I think if he had stayed, I wouldn't have been surprised if he was first name on the team sheet come Blackpool. Because I think Marco Silva did really rate him. So I'm a little bit surprised if it's going to be 10 million euros. But, you know, in the end of the day, if he didn't want to be there and he did force our hand, then there's no point keeping someone that expensive on our wage bill. No, I, I I think we have to let that one come out in the wash before we uh, start really kind of talking numbers because yeah I I I don't see the um the Khans letting such a valuable asset go at such a big loss almost for their like to avoid like losing face I would have thought they would be trying to avoid that at all costs so um we'll, we'll wait we'll wait and see what is the rumor on that Dan um. That obviously will spark again the Matt Grimes coming in rumours. Looks like Fulham made a two and a half million pound bid, which was rejected by Swansea. Um, They don't have a huge amount of leverage because um, Grimes hasn't got long left on his contract. Do you think this one might actually now get over the line if uh, if and when Anguissa goes? I think it's one of our options. I don't know how hard we're pushing it. I don't know if we're just testing the waters with uh, Swansea because they are in big trouble right now and there's a lot of internal issues going on at Swansea on the pitch as well as off it um I'm not sure how like for like that is as a transfer um when you look at it but I do think that we do have to get someone in because I think at the moment what you're looking at is if we have anyone suspended or injured it does mean that Tyrese Francois comes in and that's not saying he's not a good player but I would like us to have that extra option off the bench and whether that needs to be a, a fully first choice central midfielder I'm not sure I think Josh Onema has shown this season that he can fill that role very well and if we can keep him fit which we struggled with um, I would like to see him get a full season and if that means we get to sign someone who maybe doesn't slot straight in but is a good option and maybe grows with us I think that's a good move. Yeah I wouldn't be surprised I mean Mike, Matt Grimes might come in as a loan with option as well for us, that could be a possibility if Swansea are just, you know, keen to, to reduce the wage bill and, and and know that they'll get a guaranteed fee for him. Um, Jarms, uh, the other transfer rumour, and it feels like a certainty, is that someone will come in at right back. Uh, we had a question from Neil Joyce who said, should the club try and bring back Ola Aina, uh, who is starting for Torino, by the way, at the moment? Um, I'm not convinced that's the move, but it seems likely that a right back will come in. Seems likely a right back is going to come in at some point during the the last week of the window. Um, 
you'd expect that Fulham are going to dip into that market and try and make themselves more comfortable in that position. Bit of a shame to see Cyrus go. I personally thought that in our last championship season, he sort of grew into into the, the campaign and became a bit of an integral player to us at the end. But that being said, I think we need more quality there if Kenny Tete is going to have a long-term injury. Um, I, I'm sad to say that Stevie Sess probably isn't going to step up to the mark, but in reference to the the, the uh, first question, I don't think the best thing to do is bring back Olaina. I think it's... Uh, it's a big splash for a player that isn't really going to fit, I think, what we're trying to do. I think one thing about Olaina is that he fit in quite well with Scott Parker and his try-not-to-lose system because defensively he's a good player and he knows how to cover space and he's good at tracking third-man run. But I think when you looked at when we tried to express ourselves a little bit more during those that period where Fulham decided they were actually going to try and play some decent football before reverting to not playing decent football... We really struggled to get anything out of our fullbacks, and I think one of the primary things was Olaena's lack of nous going forward. I always remember that Crystal Palace game that was live on the BBC, and the first forty-five minutes from Olaena was the most abject performance I think I've ever seen from a fullback. Didn't get over the halfway line once, only passed sideways, only passed backwards, um, offered very, very little, and I think that he's probably not comfortable going forward, and it's certainly not going to see him overlapping at the rate that. Robinson will do and, and what Te- Kenny Tete does and, and um, I think we do need to go into the market and get a more dynamic right back because this is a dynamic team that focuses on pace and delivery of, of, of quality who that right back is I'm not entirely sure right now and I don't think anyone else really is other than the club but um, it's probably not going to be Olaena I'd wager also, also said he's probably on way too much money and Torino are a little bit strapped for cash so they'll probably have us over a barrel trying to get him here anyway. Yeah, I, I also just, yeah, not 100% sure um, he is the answer or that you want to step down. If you're starting in Serie A, it's not exactly the move of dreams to then go to the second tier, although I know we are up absolute mustard, but like, I still don't think he's going to make that step down. Um, right, let's uh, take another quick break and then we'll go into some of your questions. <laughs> Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Dom, Dan and Jams. Let's get into your questions then. Uh, first one from I Don't Care at Fulham Obsessed. Uh, this one got the most likes of all the questions. He said, which podcast members are you going to be nominating for the boxing match with second tier pod? Dom Betts, who would you like to put forward uh, to go in the ring with second tier podcast? Uh, Jack Collins, just because I'd like to see him in a boxing ring. Okay. Do I mean is he our best option though? No, do- he's not. He's not. I just want to see him in a box. I just want to see him in the boxing ring. I think it'd be quite funny. I think our best option is uh, Jarms with his massive arms. Jarms and his massive arms. <laughs> Big arms, Jarms into the ring. Where has this come from? And <laughs> um, what would be your walk-on music? Oh wow. Uh, I, there's a song from the XX. I think it's just called Intro, and it like builds up, and it's fucking great. And I could do all the light show for it and everything. And I can go in and absolutely wallop second tier pod. So that'd be great. <laughs> I'd um, actually, I'd actually say that my pick would be Izzy Barker because she like does some oh, mad Brazilian jiu-jitsu mai tai stuff that she puts up on a story all the time, and she just basically just wallops people all over the shop for a half an hour. So I'd actually pick Izzy, and she's yeah, scary I think she does anyway, Thai boxing, so. doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, that would be yeah. um, that'd be a, a strong shout, an actual qualified person to go into a ring, unlike us. As long as I'm not in the ring, that I think is the most <laughs> important thing here. Um, I don't think I'd be doing us any good. Um, speaking of like, 
we, we should probably come on to this a little bit. Look, this is one of those things that I feel like if you're not on Twitter, you're probably not aware of this at all. But there has been um, a bit of back and forth with Fulham fans and a podcast called Second Tier Pod who look after the whole of the championship, basically. And and they've been trying to say that we've bought the league. Um, and, and I think it's getting to the point where they're just doing it to wind up Fulham fans. But a lot of people have wanting, been wanting to us to put the record straight here. So... Um, Either Dan or Jarms, would anyone like to put the record straight here as to why it is not as simple that Fulham have just bought the league this year? I'm happy to. Yeah, go for it. So I don't think it's as simple as as Fulham buying the league. I think that the deal structure of Harry Wilson is a lot more complicated than meets the eye, mainly because it's reported as £12 million straight up, um, which is incorrect. It's actually a loan this year with a no fee attached to it. And then over the next four years, Fulham will be paying up to nine and a half million pounds as a base fee with add-ons that could go up to 12 million pounds. However, we need to take into account that Harvey Elliott was sold, well, was poached by Liverpool from Fulham and it went to tribunal and Fulham were awarded a fee of £4.3 million, which has also been taken into account as part of the Harry Wilson deal. It's almost like giving a sort of like a 50% discount because we gave them that player. It's almost like the two transfers offset. So Harry Wilson's £9 million fee essentially becomes £4.5 million over four years, which is roughly a million pounds a year. Um, I'm guessing that the add-ons are going to be a lot more... stringent or maybe a little bit harder to achieve than the ones that we had for um, wonderful signings like Anthony Knockart uh, (laughs) and Ivan Cavaliero. So I think that it'll be on the basis that we get into the Premier League and we stay there, um, potentially like hitting certain rounds in certain competitions and that he scores a certain amount of goals, um, maybe more than like the two that we put into Knockart's contract. So I think it's a little bit more complicated than than we make out and also um we need to take into account that Gazaniga has come in and that is a transfer with nothing attributed to it it's a free transfer so um how are we buying the league when we've paid no money to any other club I also don't know um, how you can buy the league when you've signed two players so yeah. three if you include Muniz who hasn't even been in a match day squad yet how is yeah it? and it's also on, on the buying mu- the league on Muniz as well, like it's a reported eight million euro fee, but that is again subject to add-ons, and it's actually a base of four million over four years as well. So that's again a million pounds a year. So um, I get that you know a reported twelve million is more than sort of like twelve clubs in the championship have spent combined, but it's also very much not true in this case. Um, there is a golf, and we spoke about this earlier on in in the in the podcast, there is a golf in the league and that certain clubs do have much more money than others. But also we do have a lot of very good players that have been knocking around for a few years. So it's not like we've bought the league that we've just come into with two signings that have cost on paper, nothing at the moment. What I will say, Sammy, is that if anyone has been rattled by their tweets, go and listen to the podcast they put out this morning. Um, and when they get to the Fulham bit, you've never heard two people more gutted about how good a football team is than these two guys in the second tier. It genuinely gets to Fulham and they go, Fulham are quite good, aren't they? And they're like, yeah, they are pretty good. They're going to walk this league. And it gave me an immense amount of enjoyment to hear them have to actually speak about us in a positive light. 
Yeah. I, the other thing that is just not, not being taken into grip, we're about to sell Anguisa. Look, we don't know the fee. We were just talking about how we don't think the fee is good enough, but it's still 10 million euros. We've sold Abu Kamara for uh, just over four, which is bordering on miracle. But like uh, we've managed to get that money for, for Abu. Um, you know, we have still sold some players this year to, to fund what we're doing. And look, I don't think... I claim to be a football finance expert. There are people much more qualified um, out there, but I'm at least qualified enough to know that we didn't buy the league. And that there, there is just a big thing at the moment with, and, and this is not just them, let's be honest, but several outlets who just do spout nonsense. There was this thing about on TalkSport last week that Norwich aren't trying to stay up or are, are being disingenuous to the league. And, you know, Norwich fans are up in arms about this saying we've spent 60 million lads. Like what more do you want from us? Just because you haven't heard of some of our signings or they're a bit more under the radar. Like does not mean we're doing being disingenuous and it just pays to do your research. Sometimes it just really does pay to do your research. And I like, look, I appreciate it's difficult to be completely clued up on every single club going. And that is the difficulty of when you are a pundit across lots of different football clubs. But ultimately, you know, the resources are there to, for you to find out these things. Or if you get it wrong, fair enough. If you put your hands up and say, sorry, lads, I know you know more about Fulham than we do. And actually, yeah, we maybe got that one slightly wrong. But, you know, in the case of TalkSport, the guy who said it kept going and going and trying to maintain that he was correct when like 20,000 Norwich fans are telling you you're wrong. Same with Fulham. We always know our club better because we are the fans of the club and we're dedicated to it. Like you're never going to quite know the club as well as all of the Fulham fans together. And that's the thing. Anyway, um, Ben Jarman in the ring to answer the initial question. Um, can't wait to see it. Matthew Morris asks, I'll go to you on this one, Dom. Do we talk enough about Bobby Decadova Reed as a club hero? He's played so many roles for us. Feels like Eric Nevland in the box always puts his head down and works. I feel like Reed and Mitro get more credit, but Bobby is such an asset to this team. Um, some praise for Bobby Decadova Reed, I think is what Matthew wants, Dom. Yeah, I wouldn't go as far to say club hero. I think that's a bit of a push. But, but but I mean yeah he's 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 a key player but I think if you if you look at if you look at, if you're looking at Bobby Reed in the championship last time round it was I think he was quite hit and miss there were some brilliant times where he was running rings round players and scoring goals but then I think he ended up scoring more goals in the Premier League last season than he did in the championship the season before but I think I think it's taken him a while to settle in and I think the the issue of Bobby Reed because he's such a versatile player. Does any? I don't think anyone could pinpoint what his best position is in Fulham. But that's also down to under Scott Parker. We've played so many different systems that, that and now with Marco Silva in more of a four-two-three-one, he's playing completely different roles. But I don't want to call him the attacking version of Dennis Adoy in regards to when it comes to versatility. But I think what we've seen from Bobby Reed is that wherever he gets put in, especially in the last sort of year or so. He's, he's he's performed excellently well, and I, th- I say I won't I won't exactly go and say he's a Fulham hero, but I do think he's a key part of the squad. He clearly gets along with a lot of players. You know, everyone knows about his how long he's been mates and known uh, Joe Bryan through their time growing up in Bristol together. Um, but yeah, I think I think Bobby Reed is a great asset to the squad because he can play in so many positions. You know, I wouldn't I wasn't going to be completely surprised if Marco Silva ended up putting him a right back the other day and sent Dennis Adoy. It it wouldn't it really wouldn't have surprised me that much if he really because you know as much as everyone loves Dennis Adoy you know he's I, I was like mm, is Marco Silva going to put him in especially as he played midweek as well but yeah Bobby Reed where he's playing you know he can play in the ten or he can play out wide he can play through the middle he can, he can play up top if we want to switch it or if, we, if we're looking for a goal and he switch it and play two up top so yeah I wouldn't go as far to say as Fulham hero but I think 
everyone can see what an asset he is to the squad and how he can sort of fit in anywhere in that front line. Yeah, I, I think for me, he is one of my favourite players in the team. As you say, I mean, the definition of club hero, I think, is 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 a tricky one anyway. But I certainly really enjoy seeing him on the pitch. I'm always happier when he is on the pitch. I think he's really, really versatile. And I think he's Premier League quality. I think he genuinely can do a job for us in the Prem, which I think is enjoyable to see. Um, Dan, Rob Zapowski has uh, done a great tactic here and put four questions, which has massively increased his chance of getting a, a, a question on the podcast. So um, I'm going to go with question four from, from Rob's list, which is quite simple. Is Parker just simply not good then? Um, look, I, I'm regretting more and more every day at the end of last season that I said I wanted Parker to stay. Um, I, I still feel sorry about it. I feel like I need to be like punished for my views um, more and more each week. So what are we saying now? What does what Marcus Silva has been able to do with not far off the same team show where Parker's limitations were? Yeah, for a start, I'll stand by you, Sammy. I said the same thing at the end of last season. I didn't think the amount of turmoil we were about to go through also warranted a change of manager, but incredibly happy to be proved wrong. Um, I don't think he's a bad manager. I think he's a still learning manager. I think he just he hasn't had that room yet where he's actually worked out how he can influence a game while a game is going on. And I think that's actually a really tricky part of management. And you see a lot of managers who get it wrong. Um, you can do all the preparation, all the planning before a game, but it's about how you react within a game to then go out and get the result you want. And I think we saw a lot of time and in inflexibility under Parker. And then, you know, in the championship season, if we wanted a goal, his solution was throw five strikers on, you know. And then in games when we were 1-0 up, it was then throw five defenders on. And there was a sort of an inflexibility of actually finding out what the game state is and trying to win a game from there. And I think he's shown the same for Bournemouth this season. They were tuning up against Blackpool. They give away a goal from a set piece and then give away a penalty and suddenly they go away with a point. And I think we can expect to see a lot of the same from Bournemouth this season as we saw from us in that championship season. They'll be there or thereabouts based on the quality of player they've got. But the difference between them finishing in the top six and being anywhere near the top two is the fact that their manager is nowhere near as good as ours, in my opinion. I feel like um, in relation to Scott Parker, there is a school of thought that's probably saying that he's no more than sort of a modern day Mick McCarthy or maybe if we're going to be really harsh, maybe like a Neil Warnock. Um, I feel like there's a certain limitation to the football that he plays. And I think that at times last year, I was very, very guilty of falling into a trap where I thought that Parker has a lot of potential. But then, as Dan said, there's a lot of tactical inflexibility with Parker and he very, very, he struggles quite a lot to make changes on the fly. He struggles to understand what uh, course a game is going to take and how to pervert that course from happening. Um, so I think that there, Parker has a lot of room for, for growing, but also at the same time, you have to question how much he wants to grow and how much he wants to change his style of football. Because I think that... We started to see this in the second half of the promotion season before the Premier League. He tried to have this possession-heavy style of football where we were trying to carve out chances. We were, we were trying to be a little bit of a Slavisa 2.0 team uh, and we were trying to get back to all the football we all know and loved. And it, We said it on the podcast so many times, we'd have 75% possession, we'd lose 1-0. 
um, because he didn't know how to get the structure of the team right. He couldn't get a team scoring goals. He had people cutting inside and it was very, very predictable. He almost took a step back and then went into his preferred style of football, which is, okay, let's get 1-0 up and by any means possible and then try not to lose. And I think that this is sort of why I reference Warnock and why I reference McCarthy is that they both had that sort of get 1-0 up, all right, hunker down, batten down the hatches and we'll try and see if we can get it over the line. And I think that one thing about Parker is that his football is just not exciting. And I think that in hindsight, a lot of what I sort of preached about Parker and maybe potentially what I, I sort of wanted Parker to stand, I sort of didn't, was mainly because there was a sort of emotional attachment to that promotion season and everything that he gave us as a player. Because I thought as a player for us, um, he was exemplary, especially like towards the end of his career where he wasn't getting too many minutes, but was still that vocal point. But I think football-wise, it's it's drab, it's dull, it's boring and it's quite predictable. So I think that, as Dan says, we've got a better manager and maybe Parker just isn't that good and he's a little bit of a facade. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Right, we're going to just do a few uh, nonsense questions then uh, before we finish. Uh, first one that comes from <laughs> uh, Uncle G-Dog. He says, uh, tell Don Betts I saw his mum in my local. I don't think that's possible because I don't, know if, I, think, I don't think my mum's been in a pub in about five years. So I highly doubt that. Okay, Uncle G Dog, that Clearly one's incorrect. Saw some other Hong Kong woman in your local pub. <laughs> there we go. Um, <laughs> this one also probably aimed your way, Dom. Uh, Luca Lele says, "Who will die first in Blackpool, and why will it be at Radio Bets?" Right. Should we? Should we? Should we take a long answer to this, or should we do a short summarised answer? Because short summarised, I reckon. Sure. Uh, basically, it's seven days into about a 10 day bender. So if I'm alive, by the time I get to Blackpool, we'll be lucky. Okay, good to know. If we see Don Betts in Blackpool, we should all count our blessings. Um, I'm still sad I'm not going. Um, bloody grandparents. Uh, right. Um, <laughs> turning turning 90. How dare they? Um <laughs> Mitch Sloan says, final question. We'll go uh, to everyone on this. He says, now that we've won the league, should we focus on the FA Cup or the Carabao Cup? Uh, Dan, your thoughts? Uh, I reckon we do the Carabao Cup. Let Jay Stansfield turn out as uh, top goal scorer. Um, you know, it's always City, isn't it? So if he can bag a brace against City at Wembley, give us another day out there. I think that sounds perfect to me. And who wouldn't like a nice little two-legged tie? You know, seeing as we're not going to be bothering with the playoffs this year, a two-legged semi-final sounds beautiful to me. We get a good away day. Let's do the Carabao. I can't bear to things. How, I think how many things will be clipped up when Fulham finish seventh <laughs> this year. Like it's honestly going to be a treasure trove of content. The amount of like uh, fog horns and uh, times that we've uh, completely like put our foot in it this season. Uh, Jarms, FA Cup or Carabao Cup for you? Uh, just to answer Mitch's question and, and give it the respect it deserves. Uh, I, I th- I'm going to go for FA Cup because there's absolutely no point in going for the Carabao Cup because they've already ingrained Manchester City's name on the trophy for the next 1,700 years. So <laughs> might as well go for the FA Cup because it is uh, the better cup, more important cup, uh, and we're going to get knocked out in the fifth round by Spurs. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Dom, are you, are you going for either of either the Carabao or FA? Uh- Oh, Carabao, because if you win the Carabao, you go to the Conference League. So um, you don't want you don't want Europa League. We've already done that. So yes, let's let's do let's do the Carabao. Get into the Conference League and beat beat I don't know FC Skopje in the uh, in the in the in the playoff round. Ben, lovely trip, lovely trip to Macedonia, and then uh, see see what see what odd away days we can get in the group stage. Is that the thing now? Is it Carabao goes to Conference League? 
Uh, yeah, uh, or, or obviously if it goes to teams in the top six already, it yeah. goes to league places. And that's why Spurs obviously went through to the Conference League. But yeah, the Carabao Cup place is the Conference League place, if that makes sense. The the Conference League, I, ju- I did watch the draw for the Conference League and you did come up in my mind, Dom, thinking Dom would love this. Dom would oh, love it'd, it'd to be, be in, like, It'd be absolutely class. Group H or something in the Conference League, just going to like random Eastern European yes, um, clubs. Yeah, nice, FC Tirana, etc. Oh, brilliant! You're speaking place. my, oh, my language here, Jams. Speaking my language. Anywhere in the Balkans. Anywhere in the Balkans, Sammy. Bit you've got the... get, get it, get it, get it involved, mate. Anywhere that you can fly to on Wizz Air, basically. Respect. Can't wait to use them on Wednesday. What an airline! <laughs> what an airline! <laughs> airline of did champions. Kosovo did Kosovo on that for fifty pound return. It was fucking brilliant. <laughs> can't beat it right that'll do for the podcast today last thing we need to do is name the podcast so at radio bets as it's the final time we will see you alive um because obviously it is blackpool in two weeks and it's international Um, break so it means i'm gonna be yeah so let's give you the honor of of naming a podcast one final time i I don't think we can really look past bill and nickerson's obviously retweeted on twitter but i don't think you can really look past it with harry expels potters yeah, it was it was a wonderful one. At the moment, they just seem every, every game just to be one three word review that just stands out above the rest. The cream of the crop. Uh, who was that one for one again? Uh, at Br Nickelson on Twitter. Very, very good, Nick. Uh, Much, much deserved. And so, yeah, it is the international break. Uh, There will be a Thursday club this week. Uh, Jack is going to be on with Peter and Ben. looking back at all of the transfer deadline day activity. I think we can all predict roughly where it's going to go, but I'm expecting one or two little curveball surprises to be in there. So all the reaction to transfer deadline day. And also speaking of transfer deadline day, there is going to be a live stream on the Fulhamish YouTube channel tomorrow uh, with Jack and Joe uh, and some special Fulhamish guests. I believe it's going to be around 7.30. So sack off Sky Sports News, who are just going to talk about um, Ronaldo uh, for the entire time and get on the uh, the Jack and Joe show. Uh, and just before I finish, actually, I just want to give a shout out to uh, Jack and Loz. Um, I've started recently reading their Crossing the Line book, um, which is really, really enjoyable. I am the world's slowest reader, but I am actually getting through this one pretty fast. I'm hoping by next week I'll, I'll have finished a perfect thing for an international break for me. Um, it's a fictional story all set around Fulham Um interestingly the the manager is called marco and i know that they wrote this long before they knew marco silva would be the manager um so it's hard to get that out of your head but it's a mixture of kind of like football and football politics and and a kind of fictional world all set around fulham and and i'm having a wonderful time reading this and do you know what this would have been the perfect book when i was about 12 and i refused to read anything at school um and i needed to have a book for like book class or something like that so crossing the line Jack and Loz, um, you can head to their socials if you want to find a link to it, but I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And I'll, and I'll give you my final review when, I've, uh, when I finish the book in a, in a couple of weeks. But yeah, shout out to them because uh, it is a really, really good read. Um, and anything that involves a little bit of a book and Fulham, yeah, right up my street. So thank you very much for listening today. Thanks to my guest, Dan Cook. Thanks for having me, Sammy. Thanks to Ben Jarman. Thank you, Sam. And thank you, Don Betts. No worries, mate. Uh, we will see you in the week for the Thursday Club. I won't, but Jack will. So have a good start to your week. Come on, you whites. Mm-hmm.